Our gospel reading tonight, according to the witness of St. Matthew, the very last chapter of his gospel, the 28th, beginning at verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has been raised. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story is still told among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So during this uh, last year of my service in ministry, as your senior pastor, in keeping with the plan, I'm preaching just once a month having preached uh, most of the sermons since 1998. And Pastor Jerry Watts is being provided with additional opportunities to serve the Lord and minister to you by being in this, your pulpit. Uh, Last month, I preached on the nature of the Christian church. And if any of you here watching, worshiping, if any of you tomorrow on Sunday were unable to listen to that message. It's still available online. I preached that on January 9th and 10th. And this month, I'm preaching on the significance of baptism and what baptism means for all of us. And in order to fully appreciate uh, the gift and the nature of baptism, we got to go back. We got to go back in time 
long time ago. In fact, we have to go in the scriptures to the Old Testament, back to the prophet Jeremiah, who was born 655 years before Christ. So listen to these words from the prophet. Uh, This is Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Did you hear that? The days are coming when I will make a new covenant not like the old one they broke. I'll make a new covenant and forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That once future promise, that future new covenant that God made known to Jeremiah as something yet to arrive long before Jesus made his appearance has appeared. The promise has come. It's been fulfilled We now know it as a blessed reality. The new covenant was made in Christ through his innocent suffering, his precious blood, his holy death. You have received what God promised through Jeremiah. The Lord has forgiven your iniquity. He has chosen to remember your sin no more. What does that mean? Well, iniquity is another way of talking about the human condition. And this iniquity, it's a sickness. It's a spiritual sickness. And like all illnesses, like all diseases, it's symptomatic. If left untreated, this disease, this inequity is deadly. We all have iniquity. Not one of us is pure and holy. We are, as the Bible reminds us, slaves to sin. We're in bondage. We cannot free ourselves. Our character, our very nature, makes it impossible. Our nature as falling creatures is something that we just can't fix. We can't repair it. And because of this nature we all share, we have the same symptoms, and we call those symptoms sins. The things we say and do that grieve God's heart, that go against the will of Jesus. The things we know we should be doing, and we choose not to do them. Some of you know the old language. We call this uh, the sins of commission and the sins of omission. And here's the truth. You're guilty of such sins. And so am I. 
guilty to the core. And we have a Savior. We have Jesus, who is familiar with our nature, our character. And he's fully aware of all our sins, even those we have worked so hard to hide from others. Our iniquity and our sins. And Jesus has done something about them both, something we cannot do for ourselves. He has died the death we deserve. He has received the punishment that should have been ours. He's been crucified. And here's the nature of this new covenant. You and I have been crucified with him. Did you know that? Both our iniquity and our sin went to the cross with Jesus in this new covenant. You have been joined with Christ in a death like his so that you can be joined with Christ in a resurrection like his. The Apostle Paul makes this wonderful truth abundantly clear over and over in his letters to the Romans, the Corinthians, the Galatians. So if you take anything away from this sermon, if you take just one thing away from this, one of my final sermons, let it be this. Your iniquity and your sin are real. So is mine. And Christ has taken care of both problems. I'll repeat. Your iniquity and your sin are real. And if left untreated, both are terminal. Both your spiritual sickness and all those symptoms will leave you dead. And Christ has taken care of both. So that you can now be alive. Fully alive in Christ. We celebrate this dying and rising with each and every baptism. Listen, if you will, to the Apostle Paul from chapter, chapter 6 in Romans. I'll read it for you. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized in Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. If we've died with Christ, we will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. That's the truth of God's word. And yet some Christians and some pastors dare to say, dare to put forth, That baptism is just some nice, cute, little, symbolic sprinkling of water. That it's some little ritual, some 
man-made, concocted ordinance. I pray for those Christians. They need to open their eyes, their hearts, their minds. They need to read the word of God with full reverence and humility. For anyone who would say such things about the gift and the power of baptism would grieve the Holy Spirit. Death is not symbolic, is it? It's real. Being united with Christ in baptism is not some cute little ritual. It's bloody. It's costly. It meant real suffering and real agony for Jesus. Death is always serious business. And in baptism, it's a matter of death and life. And so we baptize men, women, and yes, children, as the church has done for nearly 2,000 years. And we celebrate those baptisms as Christ commanded. He did not suggest how we should do it. He did not leave it to us to decide how we might go about it. He commanded that we baptize in a certain way and that we teach people about following him as they are made into disciples, apprentices, followers of the master teacher, the master of life, the Savior himself. In recent years, it has greatly saddened me and many of you as we've witnessed in some churches and some church bodies baptisms being done in any number of ways but the way Jesus commanded. Baptisms in the name of the mother, the child, and the spirit of wisdom. Baptisms in the name of the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer. Uh, baptisms in the name of the God who loves you more than you deserve and more than you could ever imagine. None of those baptismal formulas are obedient to Christ's command. They're not faithful to his word that you now know in Matthew's gospel. So we baptize just as Christ instructed us to do so in the holy name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we don't get, we refuse to get worried or become um, hostile or argumentative, you know, when it comes to uh, how much or what kind of water. Uh, I've looked over the scriptures, and so have you, I hope, and nowhere in the Holy Bible does Jesus himself command us to fully submerge someone in baptism. If he did, then all Christians would be doing it, we would be doing it. Nowhere in the Bible are we told that this water must be river water, lake water, ocean water, instead of water that comes from our supply system and out of our faucets. You know, water's just water's just water, it's H2O. But it's the promise of Jesus, it's the promise of life, it is the promise of the word that is attached to that water in baptism that makes it holy and powerful. This past week, our state governor once again changed the public health orders. Just in case you missed it, restaurants can now reopen, 25% occupancy inside, just in time for the polar vortex that's about to hit us. I mean, dining outside the last couple weeks when it's 60 degrees is one thing, right? But dining outside, (laughs) 
With the frigid temperatures coming our way, that's another one. I don't know if even one of those portable heaters would help. But seizing the moment, not waiting for the orders to change yet again, Pastor Watts and I, who meet every week as we plan ahead, we met inside over a cup of coffee at a local restaurant on Thursday. We've been doing that. We're going to keep doing that as part of our succession plan as we look to a post-pandemic world and what reopening will finally mean for us here at Faith. Oh my goodness, we've gone almost an entire year with no coffee being served between worship services. No food or drink being enjoyed in fellowship hall after weddings and funerals. No breakfast meetings for men here in fellowship hall. No luncheons for women. No Wednesday night suppers for all the men, women, and children who participate in our midweek ministries and classes. No annual chili cook-off so I could try to win yet again because I've lost so many times. It's exciting to think about these things again. It's really good. It's good for my psyche. It's good for, for me to think and prepare and anticipate life returning to normal because it's been so weird. It's been so surreal. But we need to remember, we must remember, our first and foremost reason for being is leading people to Christ. Our mission is to lead people to Christ, incorporating them into the life of the church and equipping one another for effective Christian living. That's why we exist. And those we lead to Christ are incorporated through baptism. Not a cup of coffee or plate of food. Incorporation. In corpus. Being made part of the corpus. Being brought into the body. The body of Christ. This happens in baptism, friends. Now don't get me wrong. I like food. I really like food. I didn't get this big by skipping meals. The Lutheran college my wife Kirsten and I attended was all you can eat. Every meal, breakfast, lunch, and supper. And I took advantage of that every time I walked into the dining hall. And that usually wasn't enough and I had to order a pizza just for a little dessert before I fell asleep in the dorm. But Faith Lutheran Church does not exist to be a Christian restaurant We exist to lead people to Christ, to make disciples, to glorify God. And once we lead someone to Christ who's been living in darkness, who doesn't know Jesus, then we can, then we should. And soon we will once again enjoy seeing each other and talking and praying and laughing and crying together over all the great meals that are provided here. We will be blessed by that fellowship, that koinonia, that is uniquely and wondrously and beautifully Christian fellowship that we have done without that we have sorely missed for almost an entire year my prayer for this congregation during these last 10 months before I retire and Jerry becomes your next senior pastor is that all of us would be just as excited even more excited about leading people to Christ and celebrating their baptism. That we'd be more excited about that 
than we are about reopening our coffee bar, our kitchen, our local businesses, finally our public schools. That's what should really excite us if we're in Christ. So I want to leave you with some final thoughts about baptism tonight. Through the years, many of the members of this congregation have come back after visiting a sanctuary of a different church. And they've reported to me that it was kind of weird because the baptismal font, the bowl, was in the wrong place, they said. It was in the, in the back of the sanctuary instead of the front near the altar. People have told me about this after worshiping elsewhere while on vacation and honoring the Lord's Day to keep it holy, or after attending the funeral or the wedding of a friend, a classmate, or coworker who belonged to a different church. Some of you have even reported to me that you saw something you thought was just weird. And that is when those baptismal fonts are in the back, you saw people walking by it and sticking their fingers in and getting their fingers wet and then making a cross on their forehead as they went to sit down. And some people have said, well, that's what Catholics do as in Roman Catholic. And I submit to you that actually that's very Lutheran and it's really very Christian. For you may not know that in older Lutheran sanctuaries going back hundreds of years in this country, our sanctuary's only been here for 30 years. The baptismal font's in the same place. It's in the back by the entrance. And you have Lutheran brothers and sisters in Christ, Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, who touch that water and make the sign of the cross when they walk in. And it ain't magic. We don't believe in magic. It's not superstitious. It's done for a reason. It's done to remember who we are. To remember our baptism into the death and resurrection of Christ. It's all about remembering with that cross what Jesus did for us when he was crucified for our iniquity and our sin. Martin Marty, a Lutheran pastor, professor, and theologian, is now 93 years old. And he was in his 50s, younger than I am now, when I entered seminary a lifetime ago. And some of you remember watching uh, Bill Moyers. I think he had a show on public television. During a television interview way back when, Bill Moyers was interviewing Martin Marty, and he knew he was a Lutheran. And so Moyers just like hitting, boom, right from the start. So are you born again? And Marty replied, yes. And Moyers said, when did that happen? And Martin Marty said, the 26th of February, 1928. And Moyers looked surprised knowing Martin Marty's age. And he said, you don't, you don't look old enough for that early a date. Because Moyers was thinking like a Southern Baptist. He was a Southern Baptist pastor in Texas before he became a politician and a television personality. So Marty let him know he was talking about being born again in baptism when he was three weeks of age. And Moyers said, you know, and that... And that does it for life? 
And Marty answered, as I think we should all answer such a question, well, yes and no. Because I was born again then, but I was also born again this morning. You see, every day, COVID or no COVID, every day, every sunrise is a chance to give thanks to God for life and remember everything that Jesus has done for us. Every morning, your name does not appear in the local obituaries is a day to praise the Lord. And when your name and my name finally show up in the obituaries, then we'll praise the Lord even more because we'll see him face to face. This is how old Martin Luther put it so long ago in the 16th century. Baptism signifies that the old creature in us is to be drowned and die through daily repentance and that daily a new person is to come forth and arise to live before God in righteousness. In the morning, as soon as you get out of bed, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, watch over me today. Amen. And then say the Apostles' Creed. Pray the Lord's Prayer and go into your work joyfully every day, born again. Please remember, if you remember anything from this sermon, what I said earlier. Your iniquity, my iniquity, your sin, my sin are real. If left untreated, they're terminal. We are terminal. Both your spiritual sickness and its simple symptoms will leave you dead. But Jesus, your friend, your Savior, your Lord, has taken care of both problems. You are now alive in Christ. And you are alive forever. In the name of the same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.